And we are continuing our sermon series, and uh, we've, been, we've been calling it People Together with God. I want to uh, just thank Pastor Will last week for filling in with us when we were out at the beach, partying it up. I uh, heard a lot of good feedback from last week, and it's always good to know, you know, that I can take a break and not be here, and very capable hands are able to serve here. So, so thank you, Will, for last week. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, a very important kind of thing as, as we continue to take steps forward as a church is raising up leaders, is continually raising up leaders. It's something that we've been drilling in our staff meetings and elder meetings. How do we raise up leaders from within here, both men and women, to rise up to the call that they have on their life to, to serve? How do we equip? How do we empower them? And how do we send them out to do so? So, um, yeah, it's good to see that in action last week. Um, as we continue this morning, we are going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, the main point we are emphasizing over and over, we'll be in chapter 1, so you can turn there. It's on page uh, 1142 in your Red Pew Bibles, if you, have, if you have one of those in front of you. The main point we've been emphasizing over and over again is that when we come to know Jesus and we are adopted into his family, we become people together with God, living life together, sharing life together in Christ. We need friendship with one another. We need deep, meaningful friendships, not the shallow kind that our culture often talks about, but the kind that Jesus talked about, the kind of friends like he was to us, who was willing to even lay down his life for us. And together we make up the body of Christ on earth. What that means is I am not the body of Christ, but we are the body of Christ. That's an important nuance there to, to emphasize. Knowing God places demands on us. Our mission statement here is equipping followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with their neighbors. And that, that, that share piece is not just verbal sharing. Certainly, you know, verbally communicating the gospel is of utmost importance. But it also, what we're trying to communicate as well is a sharing of life, a sharing of yourself with others, with your neighbors. It's an attempt to say essentially that, that loving God and loving our neighbor is how we think about, it's, it's how we think about, a, it's a way of life. It's how we think about our existence here day to day. God equips us for this life. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit. And we all have a role to play. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14 says, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that is to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining full measure of Christ's full stature. In other words, what role we have, what role we are given is for the sake of everyone around you. What we are given is to then be given to others. At the core of this conversation, right, is a, 
It's a little complex, but hopefully it'll be, it'll be simply understood this morning. It's a deeply spiritual, we can also say theological, um, but something that's also really massively kind of upstream against culture today is this. Your life is not your own, but you ultimately belong to God. You belong to his purposes, and he wants you to live a life of love to those around you just as he did for you. Ephesians 4.16, it says, From him, Jesus, the whole body grows, being fitted and held together through every supporting ligament, that is you. As each one does its part, the body builds itself up in love. I want you to really sincerely just kind of pause and think about this for a minute. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. There's a catechism that we've taught our kids, some of the the parts of the the catechism, and it begins in that very thing, right? You are not your own, but you belong to God. That fact that God owns you, it means there's demands on us. It means that your life, in a way, is on loan. And when you have something in your own care that doesn't belong to you, you treat it carefully. Um, When I was a kid... Uh, our, we had a family that had kids similar to our age and they were on vacation once and they said, hey, we washed your gerbils for us. That was a terrible um, decision for us to watch their gerbils. It was like fall time, so we, we, put it, we put them in our garage and lo and behold, I don't know, we don't know how exactly it happened, but the next morning, they were just not in their cage, just gone. And of course, they came back and they were, you know, crushed, right? Um, it's, it's one thing for something like that to happen to your own pets or something that belongs to you, but when, it, when you're given the stewardship of something that's not yours, right? You, you should, I guess that's the case of what not to do, right? But you should give some careful attention to it, some extra special attention, because you realize this, this isn't mine, right? Um, if, if you borrow somebody's car, right? You don't drive it carelessly, this isn't mine. I want to take care of this. This belongs to somebody else. If you house it, you don't trash that house. You want to take care of that, right? Because it's not yours. You're a steward of something that was given to you. Our lives are essentially on loan from God. And even more so, right, you were actually purchased, redeemed, purchased by the blood of Christ. I'm about to sneeze right now. I never sneeze in the sermon. I really don't want to sneeze went away. That would have been weird. Okay, I'm not going to sneeze. You were not your own. You were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. You were redeemed by Jesus. You are not your own, but you belong to God. And for those who have been redeemed by Jesus, right, we all now share together in Jesus as a family who belong, we all belong to him and we belong to one another. So I lay all that kind of, you know, groundwork out there that's really going to help us understand the scriptures we look at this morning, right? I, I want to help kind of define a, a big piece of this whole Christian life thing, right? Like, how do we do this? Like, how do we live this Christian life? Um, it, it's crucial that we go into these verses knowing, once again, you are not your own, but you belong to God, that you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. It's almost probably impossible to shake off 
cultural influences that, that say otherwise, that say your life really is yours, that you are the master of your own story, that you are the ones that can carve your own path out in life and, and do as you please to satisfy and preserve your own happiness, right? And, and the Christian message says that the, the path to true joy and true happiness is a path that leads directly to Jesus Christ. And it's a path that involves you to put on chains of slavery to him, which really aren't actually chains of slavery, but it is freedom, freedom itself. So we're going to look into this, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 8. This is what these verses say. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Lord Jesus, we ask through your Holy Spirit in this room this morning, as we just have worshiped your name, we have spent time in your presence. Lord, would open ears and a soft heart to receive your words this morning. May they take root in our lives. May the seeds take root of your word and, and spring forth into just lush uh, uh, vegetation in our lives, Lord. May it bear fruit in our lives. So, Lord, may the words that I, I speak be words that uh, represent you and, and, and lead these people in this room to your feet, Lord Jesus. So bless our time. Holy Spirit, would you come now, Lord? And we ask this in your name. Amen. So this first few verses, right, says, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul identifies the Father as compassionate, as the one who provides comfort. If you look in throughout Scripture, those are one of the, 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 the regular characteristics of God as mentioned throughout Scripture. It is important, right? If God comforts us, it means that we are in need of comfort, right? Uh, it's kind of an assumption here in Paul's words that comfort's needed in our life. It's a hard and difficult world we're in, right? Scarcely is there a season where you're just like, eh, I'm, I'm completely good, Right? It's a challenge. Day-to-day life can be a challenge. But praise be to God, who is the one who provides comfort for us. But that comfort that, he's provides, that he provides for us, it doesn't stop with us. Look at verse 4. You've got to read this and pay attention to it. God comforts us in troubles so that we can sit down on the couch and say, Praise the Lord, I feel comforted today, and then take a nap and just kind of cuddle up in your own comfort. Is that, is that what verse 4 says? Is that what it said? No, right? We are comforted. Why? To comfort others. We receive comfort from God, 
in order that we can then give comfort to anyone else who may be in need of comfort. Again, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. God comforts you so that you can comfort others. There is then a responsibility that what we receive from God is to then be passed on to others. The pattern in Scripture is just that. God gives us something which we are thankful for, salvation, joy, comfort, peace, his generosity, sometimes even financially in our life. And we receive these things, not that we can then just pile them up and sit on them and say, yay, this is great, but rather we then pass it on to those in our life who may be in need. There's a few great stories that kind of just show this. Um, Last summer, right, it was the first summer after the the pandemic summer, um, or the, uh, uh, no, it wasn't, yeah, it was, and um, this was in Ohio, okay, Heavenly Pizza, Pizzeria in Findlay, Ohio. There was a day that they had 220 orders in a single day, yet did not keep a single dime of its sales. The owner, Josh Elkert, um, and thanks to his employees who throughout the pandemic just really sacrificially gave of themselves to keep that pizzeria open. He was so grateful and so thankful for what he received from his employees that he kind of let it be known throughout the community every single sale that is received, any kind of profit that's received is going right into the pockets of my employees for this day. The community heard about it, so they went from like 100-ish orders to 220 orders that day, and the employees made $78 an hour at a pizzeria, right? Incredible generosity. He said, I was thankful, and I wanted them to know it, and I passed it out to them, Right? It overflowed into his employees. Another story, uh, uh, aspiring Broadway actor Claiborne Elder at 23 years old was going to Broadway and attending plays and you know, trying to learn and just think, how can I actually do this? And a stranger sitting in one of the plays he was at saw his eyes and he was just so into the play and so eagerly taking notes and just really concentrated. The stranger walks up and he says, I can tell you were really just zoned in. You love this play. Like, here's 200 bucks. You need to go see Sweeney Todd down the street. It's way better than this. Buy yourself a good seat. You need to go see it. Complete stranger, right? He was taken off. He was taken kind of back by. He was like, what? But he buys a ticket, and it kind of just scratches the niche inside of him that sets him off on a trajectory that eventually he finds himself starring in a Broadway play next to the actors of that Sweeney Todd play some years later and looks back to that stranger's generosity, that stranger who had a passion for theater, who had overflowed out of his life and he wanted to pass it along to somebody else and say, I want you to share in the passion that I have. I can see it's in you. I want to stir that up and I want it to come out of me to then be given to you so you can carry it on. We could tell these kind of stories all day long. They're wonderful, great stories, right? But the idea is this, that these two people mentioned, they received something. And they didn't just say, this is great, I'm just going to sit on it. They said, no, how can I give this away? Like, how can I pass this out? How can I let it overflow out of me? When, when God gives you his love and his comfort, when he gives you such comfort in the midst of great affliction, he says, this isn't only for you. You need comfort right now. But when this season is over and it's waning, take that comfort. Because I guarantee you, somebody around you is going to need to benefit from what you just received. It's not just yours. Let it flow out of you. 
The love of God flow out, flowed out so strongly if him that he sent his own son to this earth, right? He says, if I comfort you, let it flow out unto those around you. But that kind of mentality, though, right, it actually fundamentally changes things like, why do we go to church? Why do we want to participate in being a member of a local congregation? To receive from God spiritual growth, maturity, comfort? Yes. But it's not just for you. Look around the room. There's people in this room. They're in need of that as well. And maybe it's you who, who, who received something this morning that the person next to you, the person in the row behind you, need some of that. And through you, God's going to show up in that person's life. As we live in the world that is more and more focused on the individual, on our own situations, on our own feelings, on our own needs, those things are very real indeed, right? I was talking to somebody this past week, like seasons come up where you just kind of have to be that me, me, I, I person, like you're the needy one for that season, and that's fine. You should be, right? And that means hopefully those around you recognize that, yeah, I need to be boring into that person right now. But that's not a way of life right? Life is not about me, me, I, I. That season comes and then it goes in order that you can find that person who needs to go back into that me, me, I, I season. I'm in great need right now. And then you can love on them and enter into their needs. All this gets a little bit deeper, right? In verse five here, when he starts talking about sharing in Christ's sufferings. I love this. It's so interesting and so fascinating. Verse five, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, if you have a different translation, it may say something like um, um, uh, abundantly flow into our lives or we abundantly share. It's, it's, it's something like that, right? Uh, the, the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. Because you do not belong to, to yourself, but you belong to God, and because you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in those with saving faith, and suddenly, I'm going to walk through this, you know, when we walk in Christ's likeness, when our will becomes aligned to his, when you embrace a life of being a little Christ, that's what the word Christian means if you didn't know, little Christ's, you will experience in some small measure what it was like for Jesus living in this world. Let's break this down. Sometimes you may pray for someone, right, the need of healing. They come to you and say, can you just pray for me? I'm in need of healing. Maybe it's physical healing, spiritual healing, and you pray. And they're actually healed. And they tell you, like, you remember that prayer you prayed? Like, I'm healed. Didn't Jesus do that? Yeah. He did. And you just experienced a little glimpse of that power as well. You're sharing in Christ in that moment. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enabled it to happen. You may also experience some of the difficulties that Jesus felt while he was here. Being misunderstood by your own family members. That happened to Jesus, if you didn't know that. In Mark chapter 3, 21, after he was early in his ministry and was, crowds were following him and he was healing people, and this was a, apparently a new thing for him. Like he was 30 years of age, not really, not a whole lot going on that indicated this would just happen in his life. 
And he just starts doing it and shows up at home and this big crowd is with him. And it says his family in Mark 3.21 seized him, like grabbed him and pulled him out and said, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? What are you stirring up? Are you going crazy? It says his family said this to him, right? He was misunderstood. And some of you with faith this morning may be able to say, yeah, I have family that thinks I'm nuts. And Jesus says, me too. That happened to me too. I know what it's like. There's a spiritual battle in this world. Jesus was suffered beneath actual spiritual attack and temptation. We experience these things and on and on it goes. In other words, you begin to live some of Jesus's own story and you share and you participate in it. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings it about in our life. And for some people in this world, in certain nations in this world, they truly experience the sufferings of Christ because they die for their faith. They die for their testimony of Jesus and they lose their life. Paul, he greatly suffered because of his faith in Christ. And he could say, I'm sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Not for sin, he's not atoning for anybody's sin. There's none of that happening. But by Jesus living in this fallen world and he suffered at the hands of people because of his, his claim to be God in the flesh. When Paul says, I love this guy and he's my Lord, he's my Savior, I want the world to know him and he suffered because of it. You can say, yeah, I, I'm sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And all the early churches suffered and they shared in this. Paul is talking about the ways in which he suffered for Jesus and he's talking about it almost as like a, a river that was kind of redirected and it was just flowing into his life abundantly. This wasn't just like, you know, a little bit of a trial. I mean, if you read 1 Corinthians um, or 2 Corinthians 10, you will read a laundry list of insane things that Paul had to go through because of his identity as a Christian that many in this world today have to experience because of their identity as a Christian. But look at the second half of this verse. It says, yeah, sharing in the sufferings of Christ, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. That same river that is flowing in the Paul is also flowing in comfort to him through Christ. Suffering and comfort. Interesting kind of two things to put up side by side. Why does Paul pair those things together? Most people much smarter than I agree that Paul had in mind both the cross, suffering, and the resurrection, new life, the comfort that comes out of suffering. And he had in mind that this is just kind of the, the normative experience of the Christian life. There is great challenge and tremendous difficulty, but there's great comfort and joy. There's this cross of Christ that was a tremendous trial and great suffering for him, but man, there was an empty tomb three days later. What joy that death has been defeated. In our life, we kind of, we share in those two kind of things. We experience both of them. The Holy Spirit is, is trying to conform us to be like Jesus by experiencing hard and challenging and things that cause suffering in our life to then experience the, the river of flowing of comfort, that resurrection life of hope. And it's all sometimes simultaneously back-to-back -back happening at the same exact time. That happens. And Paul's addressing that here in this church. To kind of attach imagery to this, I'm going to use an imagery from um, uh, uh, St. John of the Cross. He was a 16th century Spanish Christian mystic monk 
who wrote some wild stuff. If you want to read some wild stuff, he's fascinating. I, I enjoy reading him. The way he described this conversation, he, I want you to imagine, okay, I'm elaborating a little bit from his analogy here. Think of your house, okay? You might live in the city or maybe you live out in the country somewhere, but there's probably a window in your house where you have like that favorite view, where maybe you don't, maybe you thought about it, maybe you don't, but maybe you just kind of find yourself in the mornings, the sun's rising, and a certain window in your room, it, it hits it, and you know that, and you find yourself looking at it in the mornings, right? Think about that window in your house. For us, we have like a three by four big giant window into our backyard, and you're in the dining room. You can't help but look out. There's green, there's the grass, there's all my children's junk spread out all over my backyard, trampoline, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's what you see, right? You see our backyard. There's lots of nature back there, actually. That window connects two different places, the world from outside to your home within. When the sun rises and hits that window or the noonday sun on the other part of your house, it's, it starts shining in light when, it, when, when, the, when the sun keeps moving along in the sky. It shines through into your home through those windows so then you can look out and see a world that is very different from the world inside of your house. But what happens when that window is dirty? What happens when that window is smudged up? Right? You have that mysterious sticky goo that you find in your house on the window. Anybody else have that in their house? The, the policy in our house, is if you find the, the sticky goo, just don't ask questions because you just maybe don't want to know what it is. Just clean it up. But maybe there's that junk in your windows, right? And the sun hits, but it's blurry. There's fingerprints everywhere, whatever it is, dust, finger, you know. And it's coming through, but you can't quite see the outside. It's a dirty window, right? It's cloudy. It's unclear. If you are a Christian this morning, I want you to consider this. You are a, it's kind of silly, but whatever. You are a walking window that when others look at you, okay, they should be seeing through you to a cross and an empty tomb. They should be seeing through you and see Jesus Christ himself walking about that the rays of God's comfort and his love is shining through the clear window of you so people see him and they don't even quite see you. But by being with you, they are experiencing just a small glimpse of what it feels like to be with Jesus because the presence of the Spirit is so powerfully present in your life. When you look out the window in your house, you don't often think about that window. They're just looking through to the outside. When the sufferings and comfort of Christ flow abundantly to us, it means that our window might be just a little clean, right? And because of that cleanliness, people are seeing Jesus. It means we more and more are sharing in Jesus. More and more the Spirit is filling us and keeps that window clean. But lives of bitterness, lives of anger, lives of, lives of selfishness, of gossip, these things keep that window dirty. When my grandmother passed away in 1996, 10 years later, I kind of inherited her, her Honda, which is a 95 Honda Corba tuner and, I don't know, 60-something thousand miles on it. And I drove it for a couple of years. Um, we got married in 2009, and I don't know if Alice is in this room. I'll, yeah, she is. She, she, she remembers this. Um, we had a problem developed in the car that it leaked like antifreeze. But it was so low, it was like a $1,500 job. And the car wasn't worth anything close to that. 
But you know, we were in college. We were broke as a joke. We keep driving the car. And I had to get my rag because my windshield, my windshield would just be green all the time. And we had to drive with the windows down. And you would feel sick. Like, you want to vomit sick. So you had to put the windows down. And you had to keep wiping as you drove. It got really bad. At one point, I remember her telling me, she's just, can we be done with the car, please? It's like, I think you have a point, right? Like, we probably lost like five years of our life from breathing in all of that junk. But that's the idea, right? Is, is, is your window filthy? Is it gross, right? When people look at you, are they seeing Jesus through you or is it covered in that antifreeze goo stickiness, right? That his rays are trying to pierce through you, but it's blocked and it's cloudy and they can't quite see. The spirit of God was given to us in order to make us into those walking windows, that people see us, they see Jesus, and they don't quite see us. We are bringing a glimpse to Jesus, to those around us. And he's so glorious, he's so big, he is so majestic that one little old window is not near enough to reflect who he is. It would be like trying to capture the whole of the Rocky Mountains in a single little window, right? It takes all of us together, sharing in Christ together as a living, you know, body of Christ here as a church in this community. Well, all of our windows are lined up. All the different parts of who Christ is is shining through us, and it takes all of us. That's why Paul uses that analogy of the body of Christ. We need to be together for people to truly see who Jesus is through us. And Paul ends this section in verse 6. He says, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. This is how Paul understood his own trials and sufferings in his ministry. Like I said, if you read 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 10, you'll see um, just all the deep sufferings that were brought on his life and his ministry for the gospel. Jesus suffered for our, for our sins. Paul suffered in, in bringing the good news of our salvation in Christ to others, just like these early Christians in the uh, ancient city of, of Corinth. So that when he was distressed, He was distressed in order that they may be comforted. To see the sufferings of Christ in Paul, to see Jesus in Paul. And if Paul is comforted, his comfort is shared with them, producing patient endurance. I mean, the reality is when we take on each other's burdens, right? We're that walking window, we're bringing Jesus to somebody who needs help, who needs comfort. That can be a distressing thing for you. That can be very burdensome for you. It can be uh, a heavy weight that you're intentionally saying, I'm, I'm, I'm taking your weight and I'm putting it on my shoulder and I'm bearing it with you. Just like Simon did with a cross on that day Jesus fell, bringing it to the hill. That can be a distressing thing, but in your distress there is comfort being delivered. And you are once again, in a small way, sharing in Christ by experiencing the distress that he felt when he gave such great love to us and picked up our burdens on his own shoulders. 
And if Paul is comforted, his comfort is shared with them, producing patient endurance. These early Christians needed endurance because they experienced, like all Christians did in that day, great sufferings because of their faith. And this connection between himself, Paul, and the church, this connection of a shared experience in Jesus, he, he talks about hope, verse 7, and our hope for you is firm. Hope is referring to the future. It's an active faith that looks ahead and says there's a reason to look to tomorrow and be hopeful. And he says, I'm seeing this, what I'm talking about here, the sharing in crisis is happening, Christians in Corinth. And I'm hopeful for your future because it looks like really God is present in your church. And I'm hopeful for the future. I can honestly say that here. I am extremely hopeful for this church's future. And I hope that you are sharing in that with me, right? There's a lot of labor ahead of us, right? The city of Wilmington It is a needy city. The light of Christ needs to be shined on every hilltop and every corner and nook and cranny in this city, right? Let's share this together and let's do this together, church. So as we close um, this sermon today, a couple of questions I'm gonna ask ourselves. We're gonna take communion here after this sermon. But I want us as a church to ask ourselves, does this kind of sharing in Christ Does it describe us as a church body? Are we distressed over one another when somebody is hurting? Are are we distressed over that? Are we carrying each other's burdens? Are we receiving comfort and blessings from God and letting it overflow into one another? Are we as individuals, those walking windows, right, carrying a glimpse of Jesus to one another and also to this world? The center of all of this is Jesus Christ, him crucified and him raised. The spirit is given nor that our eyes as a church will remain dead set on Jesus Christ. Um, I want to transition now to to communion. And uh, after our time of communion, the worship team will come up and they'll have a song to lead. But as every week we have ministry time after the service. People will be available for prayer up front. Um, If they're in communion, during the sermon, during the worship, if you feel the Spirit of God just moving in your heart, if he's stirring within you, if he's speaking to you, if if you need to repent of sin, if you need to come up and just cry out, I want to know him more, I just want somebody to just pray a a, a blessing over me that my heart may remain soft, I just, I want to know Jesus. If you need to come up and just intercede for somebody else, whatever it might be, let us minister to you, but more importantly, let God minister to you this morning. Don't leave if you need to be ministered to this morning, because he wants to. His spirit is very much present in this room and he wants to minister to you. So don't leave if that needs to be you today.
Amen.